0: Welcome to Richware Aunties. It's your host, Christabel. Oh my goodness, it's my second episode since coming back and it is hard. (laughs) Um, The first episode was like giving an update of where I've been the last year and where... I have been on my healing journey after my breakup. Yes, certainly that was hard, but a different kind of hard. Now I'm getting into actually talking about the things that I want to talk about and all these like really complex subject matters that appear so perfectly in my head. And then when it comes down to just like record, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like the 10th time I've hit record, but... We're doing it anyways. It's hard. It's difficult. But we're here and we're doing it. And that's all that matters. (laughs) Um, And speaking of my last episode, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who listened. I got so many comments um, and DMs about how it resonated and how sharing the story was really helpful. You know, sharing parts of you that aren't perfect is like not easy especially not in social media world where you know we just want to label other people narcissistic without looking at the ways that we also contribute to a dynamic so thank you so much for everyone who affirms me and listens and um rates and reviews and dm me i will still record and tell the story because i feel like storytelling is all we have art is all we have in this debauched watched (laughs) world. So I'm going to still do it for the sake of the art. But I will say having that affirmation and reflection and even like the people who disagree or who think differently than I do, having all that is so, so, so heartwarming. So thank you so much. And if you haven't listened to that episode, this is a reminder to go hit it up. You will undoubtedly find something in it to either agree with or disagree with. And that's okay. (laughs) Um, But let's get into this week's episode. I wanted to talk about individualism and collectivism and not from a big philosophical standpoint. And I think that's why the um, episode was difficult for me, like recording earlier, because I was trying to like approach it from a oh, what is the definition of collectivism and what is the definition of individualism? I became overwhelmed because that is such a big load and people have been, philosophers, uh, Nobel Prize winning philosophers have been debating this for centuries, for millennia. So that's certainly not my lane. So I'm just gonna stick to the personal uh, because that's just how I operate better. Um, So collectivism is like, in a nutshell... Doing things for the good of the community, for the good of the collective, for the good of everyone, not necessarily like centering the individual desires and wants and needs, but rather having the collective desires and needs and wants supersede that of the individual. And when the individual needs and desires and wants coincide with the collective, then yay, that's like best case scenario. But that's not like what you're purposely seeking in collectivism. Sometimes it just happens and it happens more often than not. Perhaps the individual and the collective share the same group norms and mores and ideology. So it may begin to seem like the wants and the desires of the group is the wants and desires of the individual. And if you never leave that Collective, if you never leave that community, it may continue to be that way forever and you just don't have a problem with it. You don't mind living for the collective. You don't mind living for your parents and your tribe and your village and your country. You know, it might just be like a perfect (laughs) scenario for everyone involved. Now, when you're raised that way, when you're raised and indoctrinated that way, and then leave, that's when it gets a little dicey. And that's my story. So I was raised in Ghana and I lived in Ghana until I was 21 years old. I left at 21. I moved to the U.S. and that was almost 17 years ago. And before I left, collectivism was all I knew. I didn't have a concept of individualism because it is really an insulated way of being and everyone around you practices the same thing. So it's just reinforced over and over and over again in every arena. I'm talking from school to church to government, to the police. Fun fact, in Ghana, If you go to the police and say, oh, hey, this family member is stealing from me or this family member is like harassing me or being violent towards me. The thing they will tell you to do is to go home and try to sort it out because it's a family matter. Like, seriously, I shit you not. (laughs) How do I know this? I have had personal experiences multiple times with this. Like when I'm in Ghana, I go to the police station about an incident and they'll literally say to me, yeah, I hear you, but sister, go home. Eh? This is a family matter. Go home and settle it. Ah, is it this one you want us to go and arrest Arrest your own family member? No, 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 no. They will say, sir, we don't do things like that. <laughs> so literally collectivism is like in every aspect of life, even when crime is being committed and you're just like, you're here to protect and serve me even from a member of a family who is persecuting me. They're like, Mm-mm, I hear you, but like this is a family matter, go figure it out. So when you live in such an insulated And deeply collectivistic society, you just like don't see anything wrong, especially if you're not reading or exposed to like Western media and things like that. When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, I was a big reader, but I certainly wasn't reading and saying, "Oh, this is individualistic and this is collectivistic," and I want individualism and I don't want collectivism. I couldn't understand it from that, you know, from that big perspective. So it wasn't until I moved to the U.S., lived here for a while. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, people live this way. I was shocked. (laughs) I was genuinely shocked to find out that you can decide not to talk to your parents you can decide not to work and send home money to your parents you can decide to like just see them once a year even though you live in the same country if you have a friend and your flight gets to the airport they will expect you to take an uber to the house like these things were things that i just was like this happens But gradually, what it did was help me begin to see myself as an individual. So for that, I am so thankful to have been introduced to individualistic culture because being able to see myself as a person meant that I was no longer letting the thought of how my decisions would let the family down keep me from doing things that felt true to me, from pursuing goals and desires and dreams that would benefit no one else but me. It was such a difficult, and it's been, it continues to be, such a difficult mental transition to make to say that, I too am worthy, you know, like I too am worthy of pursuing something that centers no one else but me. But doing that and also enrolling in therapy and being with a therapist who is Western trained, which means that inevitably they're biased towards individualism, helped me begin to creates a sense of self that came through for me in so many ways. It meant that I could leave religion and not just leave it sneakily, because I think a lot of Africans do that. A lot of Africans in the diaspora do that. They will leave. They're not going to go to church every Sunday, but they will do it like sneakily. And when they go home to visit their family, they'll go to church with them. They'll pray with them. They will still perform as though they're part of the collective. But what happened for me was through therapy was like, okay, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to let everyone know that I'm leaving, that I've left, you know? (laughs) And so um, I was really grateful for being able to learn those things. Um, the same thing happened when I decided to come out to my mom and my whole community at large as being queer. I had been in therapy i 'm gonna tell you the backstory a little bit. I had been in therapy for a year at that point, and I was still posting um my partner at the time I was posting us as, as oh, that's my bestie. I'm going to the gym with my bestie. I'm travel nursing with my bestie. And then gradually, as I continued in therapy, I was like, who am I fooling? Because everyone in my immediate life knew that this person was my girlfriend, right? And I was living the split life that just left me I don't know, not well integrated. In my personal life, in my relationship, I was struggling deeply. And in my relationship with my mom and my family, I was struggling deeply. And it occurred to me through the help of therapy that it's because I was living this very different lives, two different lives, and it made sense why there was that constant tension and conflict. And so I got up the courage to, come out fully to everyone. I think I did it on Facebook (laughs) because I was just like, everyone follows me on here. I'm friends with everyone that is like relevant on here. And I'm just going to tell all of them at the same time. But I think I was 28. So that was 10 years ago. I came out and I just told everyone at the same time through a Facebook post. It worked out perfectly for me. I'm not saying that it worked out the same way for everyone. And when I say it worked out perfectly, it doesn't mean there wasn't tension. And also remember at the time I was still a Jehovah's Witness and a lot of my friends on Facebook and elsewhere were all Jehovah's Witnesses. So I had a lot of people unfriend me because that's the good thing about Jehovah's Witnesses. They are not confrontational in that way. Um, Apart from a couple of people, no one really said anything to me. Everyone just quietly unfriended me and left. My mom, on the other hand, was very vocal, you know, Um, how I was a disappointment to the family, how I was just... So Americanized, all I was thinking about was myself, how I was so individualistic, (laughs) how every suffering and every pain she had gone through to raise me as a single mother had come to naught. And I just had to face that. I had to hear her. I had to take it in. And I just took it all to therapy that next week and the week after that and the week after that to say, "Ooh." you told me this might happen, it's happening, I need support, I need resources, I need someone to bolster my confidence that it is the right decision to make to live a full life it is the right decision, right? I would keep asking, this was the right decision, right? And he would say, how do you feel about that in the classic way of a therapist? And I would say, well, I don't feel it right now, but I really do feel like it could be the right way. It could be the right decision. And I was just going to wait it out. And that period started a cascade of events leading to me getting my first tattoo ever I was on vacation with my girlfriend in Peru and I was like I have been warned against a tattoo my whole life because getting a tattoo would look bad on the family look bad on our religious community look bad on God so I just was never going to get it no matter how much I desired it But that first step of just considering my individual being as worthy of honoring above the community's needs started a cascade of events that I couldn't stop once it started. So I got my first tattoo, then I got the second one, then I got the third one, then the next thing you know, my whole body was essentially covered, Um, but I still remember though, when I first started getting tattoos, I would still get only like flowers and like pretty things, things that I would feel like, okay, my mom might be annoyed that I got this tattoo, but at least she would think that this flower is pretty, you know? And it wasn't until several years later that I covered up all those tattoos and replaced it with very strong traditional West African tribal art that you cannot miss, you know? But it was a long it was a long journey to that, to being in a place where I can see myself as a full individual, worthy of honoring, knowing that that did not mean that I did not respect my community. That does not mean that I want to bring shame to my lineage. It just meant that I, too, was part of the community. I, too, was part of the lineage and that my desires were worthy of being honored. And, you know, when I see a lot of Africans today, African immigrants or even first gen uh, folks who live in the U.S. and are still um, navigating that struggle between like being themselves and being someone who wouldn't bring shame to their family, my heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to you, if that's you, because I know it's not easy. This stuff is so, so deeply ingrained in us, the need not to disappoint them, and also accompanied by the fear of being ostracized and rejected by them. And that certainly happens. There's positionality to be considered. There's privilege to be considered there. That I was fortunate that my mom did not outrightly disown me, even if she is still pretty much homophobic (laughs) and pretty much prays for me every night to turn straight and pretty much wishes that I didn't have tattoos But at least she talks to me every day, right? So I'm aware of that privilege. To tell you that I expected that to happen would be a lie. I fully expected her to have nothing to do with me. She certainly threatened it many, many, many times. Also, the other thing is that she is a Jehovah's Witness. And Jehovah's Witnesses are not like other Christians. I don't know if you know them. Sometimes people may think, oh, your mom accepted you, you don't know my mom. Or you don't know my situation, your mom is accepting my parents or not. And I'm here to tell you that, yes, I may not know your situation, but I know my situation very well. And my situation is that I was raised by a single mother who is a staunch Jehovah's Witness. She goes preaching three times a week. She goes to Bible study twice a week. She is a staunch Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses will disown you for even looking like you may be sinful. (laughs) You know, for committing adultery, for committing fornication with the opposite sex. Jehovah's Witnesses don't play. You're not going to come to church with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Not even thinking about the gay aspect of things. I'm just talking, if you're straight and you have a girlfriend that you're having premarital sex with, chances are you're going to be disfellowshipped and your family member will never talk to you again. So when I came out, that was what I was fully expecting to happen. That was the fear that kept me from initially coming out for about a year, even after I was with, My girlfriend at the time. So the fear was there. Um, The fear was strong. And I still did it, despite the fear. And I was surprised by the outcome. I was like, okay, she is insulting me, but at least she's talking to me. That's how grateful I felt. And then eventually it became... Okay, she's insulting me less and less, and she's still talking to me, you know? And I just was so, so grateful for that. One thing I will say that I did not do was try to push my views on her, really the right views, which is love is love, (laughs) and I'm worthy of love and respect and acceptance as a gay woman, um, that is the right stance. I also understood, though, how deeply entrenched her beliefs were. And she didn't have access to the same resources that I had. Because I, too, at one point had condemned homosexuality. I, too, at one point had said, oh, my God, that is so disgusting or that is abominable. I, too, had done that based on my conditioning. The difference between her and I was that I, in later years, and as a result of having moved to the U.S., had access. I had access to therapy. I had access to books. I had access to gay people. I had access to, like, I can walk down the street and I would see gay people. My mother had never had that access. Will probably never have that access, you know. So I just could understand that even while I wanted her to love me and accept me and ask me about my relationships, she just was too indoctrinated and just lacked the access to unindoctrinate herself and learn to be different. So it felt really unfair for me to expect her to accept me wholeheartedly when I knew that it took me having support and access to unindoctrinate myself. And so that was one big thing that I think helped in navigating me coming out to her. It helped that I could just be like, okay, you don't have to love homosexuality. You don't have to love that I'm with a woman. You don't have to love that I have tattoos. You don't have to love that I have hella piercings and facial piercings. You don't have to love any of that at all. As long as you recognize that I am going to continue being me and that I love you. I am going to be here for you. I'm going to be here supporting you. I am going to be here loving you. I'm going to be here as your daughter, as a loyal, perhaps not obedient, but as a loyal, loving daughter. And so anytime she'll come at me with like being confrontational or would try to talk to me about how being gay was a disappointment I would stop her and I would remind her that I loved her as she was and that perhaps we didn't need to talk for a while and I guess that's called boundaries nowadays, but for me, it was like a coping mechanism where I would block her. She messages me on WhatsApp a lot. And so there would be weeks where I would just have her blocked because I just could not take it. But I always knew that at some point, I would unblock her when I felt like I could handle it. Um, so that's kind of how we navigated that. And even till today... Um, My mom is not going to be all like, hello, pride, you know, rainbow colors. I don't expect her to ever be that way. And I'm open to be surprised because I didn't expect many things. I didn't expect many things that she has managed to do. And her being able to do it has been as a result of me just holding fast and saying that, my individuality matters my wants and my desires matters and honestly i see how it has given her the permission to fully be herself too Like she is doing things like rocking a short haircut. Her gray hair is out. She hasn't dyed her hair in years. She hasn't worn a wig or weave or braids or none of that in years. She's just like has a really, really short haircut, like a fade and it's gray. And she wears dresses that I buy her that are super colorful and like things that she never did before. And so... It's really been a blessing to see that when you are fully yourself, it gives people the permission to be themselves and you can still show up for community. It doesn't have to be this or that it takes it takes courage it takes having resources it takes having support it takes like just a deep knowing of your personal worth and that is deep work that's not easy you know and i'm speaking specifically to anybody who is queer and African and living in the diaspora. Because I know when it comes to the matter of safety, if you're still living on the African continent, that becomes a lot more complex because safety is so integral, so important, especially if you rely on your community for food and housing and and upkeep. In which case, of course, the thing that is of most priority is that you're safe. But if you have some wiggle room, i.e. if you're living in the diaspora, not dependent financially on your family, there is a little bit of privilege there. There's a little bit of wiggle room that could be explored for the benefit of your individual self. And interestingly enough, it comes through also for the community because when you change, when you get better, they do. That is one of my favorite like phrases that I heard from this women's group I was a part of. When you get better, they do. It might not be seamless, it might not be like a linear trajectory towards being better. It might be just a whole bunch of wiggly, ziggy-zaggy like ups and downs. But eventually, they do get better, even if all that looks like is them accepting the reality of you are who you are, and they can't do anything about it. (laughs) Sometimes that's all the better we can hope for. So I think of collectivism as a worthwhile system of being, and it has pitfalls. It has downsides that are really, really detrimental or can be really detrimental to the individual self. And so learning how to navigate that, knowing that you can still show up proudly for your family and your community and your tribe and your people while honoring the deepest parts of yourself that feel true to you and may differ from the collective that you're from. And I don't think that's a perspective that is talked about a lot. And I just want to have conversations around that. So, hey, like DM me, talk to me about this. Let's talk. Let's have dialogue. I want to see what your opinions are collectivism versus individualism. How do you navigate both systems? This is especially applicable if you're someone who was raised and indoctrinated into a collectivistic society, and now you're living in a hyper individualistic society. How do you navigate that? How do you take the good parts of both systems and integrate yourself so that you can feel like a fully self-actualized person who is still able to show up for their community? What are the fears you face? What are the hiccups that come up for you? Because I know that differs for everybody and I want to talk about this with other people. I want to have a discourse And for my friends who are raised in an individualistic society who is craving collectivism, who is craving community, I think the next episode I'm going to talk about that, what it looks like to show up in a meaningful way for community. Because from my experience, watching people who are well-meaning try to build community Um, when community is a foreign concept to their culture, there is room for improvement there. There are certain things that I feel like are blind sides in that work that I would like to point out and recommend ways to truly be in community as a person who was born in community, and was raised to be in community, and was meant to die in community. So thank you for listening to me. I just wanted to say that it's difficult to begin to consider ourselves as individuals if you were raised collectivistically, but it's worthwhile. It really, really, really is. When we are able to show up for ourselves as ourselves, we give everyone the permission to do the same. And it's not easy being the trailblazer. It's not easy being the first one in our family to do this. But it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile work. It heals generations of trauma, you know, and there are good things to be learned from individualistic communities like America. There are really worthwhile lessons there. And ultimately we should all be striving for interdependence, which is being able to show up for ourselves and show up for community and have that be reciprocated. It is possible, but we have to be brave enough (laughs) (laughs) to seek the resources to help us. We have to be brave enough, dare to do it. This last week, I was talking to uh, a coworker from Mien. She was talking about how she wishes she got a tattoo, but her mom would kill her. And I'm like, will she though? Will she? And ultimately, tattoos are permanent. (laughs) And uh, once you get it, you've gotten it. And she will talk to you again. I feel... fairly positive about that even if there's a moment of oh my god you disappointed me and I can't believe after I suffered in this country for you you did this to me Hmm, okay that's really sad and she will get over it and perhaps um you know I was saying to her perhaps her hesitation from getting that tattoo is coming from not wanting to feel any discomfort and you know from her mom not being pleased with her all the time and I think that's worth investing Because I think that's what happens for a lot of us who are living double lives and we're completely out in our social circles. But when we go back home or when we're with our family, we're just like this straight square, no tattoo, no piercing person. It's, It's not just about the reactions of our family members. It's about our own lack of skill when it comes to dealing with other people feeling disappointed in us. And that is a skill that has to be learned if you just weren't taught it. And it's learnable. It sucks. You know, hearing your mom say that you're an abomination and that all her suffering was for nothing. And when you love your mom so much and you appreciate her suffering so much, it's hard to hear and you can hear it and survive it. You may have to block them. (laughs) You may have to set those boundaries in those ways, even if they're rudimentary, not highly skilled, but it's possible. And I'm just a testimony to that. So yeah, thank you for Staying with me, thank you for listening. I can't wait to talk to you next week. I don't know about what yet, but I'm excited to just keep talking and keep having these conversations. In the meantime, please check out Rich Queer Aunties for all your merch needs. I also have some art that is curated from Ghana. If you've wanted some original art, check out the store. Until next time, keep being you. Keep showing up for your community and keep showing up for you. I love you.